Well, hey, we are going to continue on with the series that we began a couple weeks back looking at um, the patriarchs of our faith. And I think I told you originally I wanted to come up with this creative name and it was going to be walking with giants is what we said. But then we talked about it and we said we can't use that because it's the exact opposite of what we want to communicate. What we want to communicate is that the patriarchs that we're going to look at, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, most of the book of Genesis we're covering um, by looking at those four characters, that they're just really ordinary people that have an extraordinary God. And that what we're trying to, to instill in our souls through this series is that we are ordinary. I think I said this a couple weeks ago. I said, some of you are probably extraordinary, and some of you think you're extraordinary when you might not be extraordinary. But most of us understand something. We're just ordinary. There's, but it's not just ordinary. It's, it's, we're ordinary. We're, we're how God made us to be. And, and as ordinary people, when we come in a relationship with an extraordinary God, there's no limits to the amazing things God can do in you and through you. And that's what we want to think about today. We're going to look at how us as, as, as ordinary people can be changed. We're going to look at it by spending our third week looking at Abraham, the father of our faith. And we're going to continue to, to look at that. And we're going to start by looking at what I think is probably, if not the strangest, one of the strangest stories in all of the Bible, where God talks to Abraham and tells him to kill his own son, Isaac. God says, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. You take your son up to a mountain, and I want you to not only just kill him, I want you to burn him as a sacrifice. Well, we're going to see that God wouldn't really let that happen, but that it was an interesting situation, that it was God was putting Abraham to a test. And God wanted to see if Abraham would really follow what he asked him to do. And it was a, it was a test of his faith. It's a test of, and we think of faith sometimes, I think we watered down what faith means. We think faith just means like, oh, I kind of believe something. No, what we see in Abraham, it's what we're, what we're learning as we're looking at the patriarchs, we see in Abraham in particular is what faith looks like. And faith is trusting God so much that you will do whatever God asks you to do. And this text um, and this conversation that we're going to have today about it, I think is so timely because I think we need to wrestle with what faith really is. It's going to help us see that having faith in God, that following after God is more than just going to church. It's more than just having a couple theological views that line up with a particular Christian organization, but that faith, that following Jesus is about having God in first place in our lives and following then whatever God asks us to do, following whatever he he says. And this text that we're going to look at, I believe, is a gift um, to get us on a right path regarding our faith and to keep us on a right path as we continue to walk in faith. So grab your Bible, if you would, or power up your phone. Go to the very beginning of your Bible, the first book, the book of Genesis. We're going to look at the 22nd chapter. We're going to read again what I think is one of, the, one of the most bizarre stories in all of the Bible. So open up to chapter 22 of the book of Genesis. We're going to read actually a lengthy section of this story, the first 19 verses of chapter 22. You there? All right. It says, Now it came about after these things that God tested 
Abraham. I have that underlined in my Bible. It would be a good idea to underline that. We're going to come back to that. That God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac's son, and he took it in his hand and the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Isaac said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, my, my, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as, seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand on which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and they went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. We'll stop right there. So think about this story. God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, and we need to think, remember from our last couple of weeks, who Isaac is. Isaac isn't, you know, you, anybody would say, it's my son. But Isaac isn't just any son. Isaac is the, the, the promise of God. He is the fulfillment of, of the promise and the prophecy of God that God said, you will have a son. Remember the story when God said, you'll have a son and he'll be your heir and through him all the nations will be blessed and your descendants will be as great as the sand on the sea and the stars in the sky. But he had no son, Abraham, when he was a hundred years old. He had no son and finally at a hundred, God gives him this son. So this is the son of promise. This is the miracle child that Abraham has when he's 100 and his wife Sarah has when she's 90. And it's the son that God says, I am going to bless the world through this son. And God says about him, kill your son. What's he do? 
Abraham, the father of faith, obeys what God says. Even though it made no sense to Abraham at the time, Abraham chooses to obey God. And God says that, that Abraham, um, God, God um, meets Abraham and provides a ram in the thicket for a sacrifice. And from reading the story, this is what we know. They go home different than they came. They go home changed. Abraham and Isaac go home changed. Abraham has passed the test. God knows this about Abraham. He will always obey whatever he says, even, in this case, the most absurd thing. Abraham will listen and he will obey. But he's not the only one who's who's affected by the situation. And moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, I want you to hear this. Because his son was affected by the situation. Isaac has seen it firsthand, literally firsthand. He has been tied up, laid on an altar on the wood that's going to be burned, and his father reaches for the knife to kill him. He lives through the experience, and he's changed. He's seen, first of all, firsthand God at work. He's seen how God worked through his father. He's seen through his dad. What does it really mean to obey God? A lot of times we say, oh, we obey God. We follow God, but Isaac now knows what does it really mean to obey God. Isaac now knows what it means to walk by faith. That faith, his father, he's the father of faith, the one who obeys God and listens, that this is what faith looks like. And he learns this, that when you follow God, God will always take care of you. God will always provide. Friends, this is an amazing story. And I believe God has some life-changing truths in it that I think we need to learn But beyond just learning, we need to embrace. And the first one is this. Just like Abraham, and and hold on to your theology. Remember last week I said, some of you aren't going to like me because I'm going to blow your mind and talk about the difference between promises and and principles, and and it was going to mess with some of your theology. I think this might mess with some of your theology because this, just like Abraham, God will test your faith and obedience. God will test your faith and obedience if you walk with him. You see, look what the text says. It says, God put Abraham to a test. Don't miss that or try to explain it away and say, oh, God just allowed Abraham to go through a situation that somehow worked out this way. No, God orchestrated this thing, and I know it's hard to get our heads around, but God tested Abraham. God did it. And friends, if you are going to walk with God and want God to work through, if you're going to try to really live out the songs you sung today of saying, I want to be a living sacrifice, giving my heart to Jesus, letting Jesus do through me what he wants, if you're going to walk with God, I'm promising you he will test you. Because he wants to see if when push comes to shove, will you do the things your way or will you do things his way? You see, there's a purpose behind it. God wants to accomplish great things in and through all of us. And those things only happen if we walk in his ways. We do things his way. So he will test us to see if we will follow, if we will obey. Now understand, when I say that God will test us, I don't mean that God will tempt us, because that's a lot different. God tests us, he doesn't tempt us. There's a big difference. Satan tempts us in order to get us to fail and to fall. He tries to get us to focus on ourselves. He tries to get us to focus on our lusts, those things that ultimately lead us away from God and hinder our development so that God can use us more. But God doesn't tempt us. God tests us to make us better. 
God tests us so that we can go higher or further with him. God doesn't want us to fail. He wants us to be like Abraham. He wants us to go through a situation and like Isaac, to go through a situation and grow and develop in our relationship with him so that he can use us in ever-increasing ways. So God does. God tests us. That's why I said, underline there, God tested Abraham. Because for some of us, we'd say, well, God would never do that. And friends, if you're going to walk with God, yes, he will. And it's going to help you understand circumstances you're in sometimes to know, oh, maybe God is doing this in my life. And why would he test us? He tests us because there are things that God wants to accomplish in and through you that only a test and challenges can accomplish. What are those things? First of all, for your sake, God wants to reveal to you who or what really holds first place in your life. God wants you and I to see for ourselves who really holds first place in our hearts. He wants us to wrestle with whether or not we are really all in with God. Have we put all of our chips on the table or are we just kind of sort of playing this Christian game? There's an example of a test like that recorded in Scripture in the 10th chapter of Mark. And you can read this later, but it's a story you're very familiar with in the 10th chapter of Mark. There's an encounter between Jesus and a man they simply call the rich young ruler. Are you familiar with the story? And so what happens is the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what do you think? And he says, um, he says follow, the, follow the commandments. Don't kill, don't commit adultery. He goes down the list. And the guy says, hey, I've kept all those commandments since I've been a youth. Now Jesus, who is God, and he knows his heart, puts him to a test to reveal what was really in first place in his heart. Remember what he said to him? Now go and sell all you own and come and follow me. And it says that the man walked away dejected because he owned much. Here's the deal. The test worked. The test worked. The test revealed to that man for himself. He said, I want, to, I want all that you have for me. He was singing the songs like we were singing the songs. I'm all in. I want it all. I've done it all since my youth. And Jesus recognizes there's another God in his life. He's something else that holds first place. So he puts him to a test and he puts his finger on that thing and he says, go sell everything and follow me. That's why this that situation, some people will follow that, read that and go, Christians should sell everything and follow the Lord. No. It was this particular man's test in this situation because he said, I want to be all in. And God said, well, let's see if you're all in. And it revealed that money, not God, held first place in that man's heart. See, God tests us so that we can see the truth about ourselves. He wants us to see if we are really all in with him or not. Can I give you some advice as a guy who's been now standing in this job for like 34 years, and I've seen the outcome of how people do this? That many people struggle in their Christian walk because they don't go all in. God tests them. They see, they recognize they're all in and they have choices to make. And they try to live this life where they kind of live with one foot in two worlds. 
Sunday morning, man, they're, they're worshiping with Jesus. It's all going. They, they serve and do things, and, 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 and they say, I'm all in. But Monday through Saturday... They live just like everybody else. And it's not about their actions. I'm not talking about that it's a to-do list, like you do these things, don't do this. I'm saying but their heart is in all the rest of the things. And they try to live with their life in two worlds, and it doesn't work. And here's what it leads to. It leads to frustration, and it leads to failure. You bail out after a while, and you go, I tried that Christian stuff. But no, they didn't. They dabbled. And what this is showing is that God doesn't, God's not calling us to dabble. What he's showing us through Abraham is he's saying, I want you to be all in. And we're going to find out it's for your benefit and my benefit. But he's saying to us, he tests us and says, let me show you, Mark, if you're all in or not. Because, friend, God wants great things for you. Write that down. Believe that. God wants great things for you. And those things come as you walk fully in his kingdom by his ways, walking with him as God and not me as God. You see, before taking Isaac up on Mount Moriah, Abraham may have said, you know what, God's number one in my heart. But after Moriah, no one, especially Abraham and Isaac, Isaac never questioned who was first place in Abraham's life after that day, did he? Because he grabbed the knife. No one ever doubted that Abraham would walk by faith in God no matter what. That's how come God could use him so mightily. That's why his son, listen, that's why his son would follow in his footsteps. So often we say, why are my kids not following in my footsteps? I've, I've been saying Jesus is number one, but I'm living with a foot in both kingdoms. And they live with me all the time that he's not number one. And they see it and they go, it's not really real. I'm not saying any of us can be perfect and we all fail. But I'm saying we know if, if we're saying Jesus is number one in our lives and we're following after him with all of our hearts. And guess what? Not only do we know, what we see here is that our kids know. Isaac didn't vacillate in his walk. One of the reasons he didn't vacillate in his walk is because he saw his father walk with him. That's why God could use them both so much because they, Abraham's actions proved his faith. And I would say this about testing. God won't probably test you in such a dramatic way. I don't know anybody that I've ever encountered. They said, hey, God walked up to me yesterday and told me to go take my kid out and stab him with a knife. If they would say that, I'd probably have him committed. You know? He probably won't test you like that, but he will test you. And I sat and I tried to say, God, remind me of a time that you've tested me. And he reminded me of a situation where he did test me when I was reading this exact story when I was a very new follower of Jesus. I was in my early 20s. And I was reading this text, this exact text. And I felt the Spirit of the Lord say to me, Mark, sacrifice Isaac. Now, you know what it's like, or I hope you know what it's like, or you're going to learn to know what it's like when you feel, you sense the reality of the Spirit of God talking to you. And as I was in my time and sitting in my apartment, reading the Scriptures, reading the Scriptures, the voice of the Spirit spoke to me as I was reading this and said, Sacrifice Isaac, 
Mark. And I knew in my heart exactly what the Lord was saying to me. You see, at that time, I was sold out. You're going to go, is anything different? It's totally different. I was sold out to hunting. That's all I thought about. It's all I did. I was a bow hunter. I still am. You go, hey, you bow hunt. Hear my story out. It's all I thought about, correct, Suzanne? It's all I thought about. And I knew God in that moment, sitting in my apartment, as I'm reading my Bible, said, sacrifice, I say, asked me to make a decision to choose which one I would do. To choose to follow him or spend my, all my time in the woods chasing after deer and planning all year round and doing all this stuff. And he was making me choose not because he didn't like hunting, but he wanted to reveal to me that I was too committed to that. It was too important in my life. And that it would hold me back spiritually because I was raised in a culture where that was all we lived for. And if I would end up just like everybody else, if I kept being just like everybody else. And he was calling me saying, do you want me to do something more through you? And if you do, you need to give this up. So guess what I did? I quit. For over six years, I never touched a bow or a gun. Six years is a long time, especially when you're in your 20s. Six deer seasons came and six deer seasons went. You know, six rabbit seasons, six pheasant seasons, six grouse seasons, six squirrel seasons, all of them. What came and went. Things I was, that was my whole entire calendar of my life was built upon around those seasons and preparing for those seasons. Some of you get what I'm talking about. Some of you don't get it all. You go, really? But I was raised, that was my culture I was raised in. It was, all, it was our life. It's what, we, it's what we lived for. Six years, I didn't pick up a bow or a gun. And then we ended up moving to Marquette, Michigan. Marquette, Michigan, usually voted number one sportsman city in America every year by Sports Illustrated because of its hunting and fishing. And we planted a church. And I remember sitting there and saying to the Lord, asking the Lord, do you think it would be all right if maybe I tried to hunt? (laughs) And I really felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, yes, but don't let it get out of control. And I can say this, it's never got out of control one bit since. It's never become a competitor. It's always, not even in second place, it's in fifth place and 12th place and 24th place when I make my plans for my life, when I put my priorities and how I spend my money. All of it proves that it doesn't have the place that it once held in my life. And here's a really important lesson to learn in this when God tests you. You have to give up to go up. You have to give up to go up. You know, God will have you sacrifice your Isaacs if they compete for lordship in your life. And that's what it was. You say it's a simple thing, but you know what your hunting is. There are things in your life that are just so important. Give me the Green Bay Packers. It can be being a helicopter parent over your children. It can be making money. And it's so big that God would, Jesus would walk up to you and say, hey, sell everything. He didn't have to tell me, Mark, sell all everything because money wasn't the issue. My priorities of, of, of running around in the woods was. So he put his finger on my thing and said, now, that's the thing, Mark. That's the problem. He does that because he loves us. We have to give up to go up. 
So God will have you sacrifice your Isaacs if they compete for lordship in your life. I had an idol that needed to die because it was keeping me from advancing with the Lord the way he wanted to me. See, God wants your life filled with his best. He wants his best for you. And some idols need to die in order to get his best because if you just keep with what you've always known, you can never gain what he has. He has great things for you. There's some things that you think are so valuable, but he wants you to let them go because he's got something better to place in your hands. So what do we see here so far? We see that God uses tests to reveal what's really first place in our lives. Okay, so he can, he can accomplish great things in our lives. But there's another thing that God accomplishes through tests. And here's, a, here's a, another one you go, oh, I don't know if I want to hear this one. It's this. He causes us to grow through our testings. God uses tests and trials to refine us like gold is refined in fire. Turn way back to the, near the end of your Bible in the New Testament to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, the first chapter. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're just going to read two verses. Well, he starts off before this, in the verses you're turning there, the verses before this, Peter's talking about all the marvelous things that come to us because we follow Jesus. All the wonderful things in our lives because we follow Jesus. Then in verse 6, he says this, And in this you greatly rejoice. You're super happy that all these wonderful things are yours in Christ. Even though, it goes on, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, and you could say by various testings. So the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's how it works. He's using the reference here of gold being refined by fire. In other words, they turn up the heat under gold and it, and it boils up the imperfections that draw us to the top. And what he's referring to, he's making an analogy here. He says, God turns up the heat in your life because in the middle of the trial or the test, our true character, our true feelings, the reality of our heart is revealed. Those are the things that bubble to the surface of our lives during times of testing in our lives. Those are the things that, that are hidden beneath, beneath the surface, but when the t- heat's turned up through the testing and trials of our life, these things come bubbling up. So we are in the middle of a difficult test, and things rise to the th- surface that a lot of times are impure, like the impurity in gold. The dross rises. Things arise up that are improper. Thoughts rise. Priorities rise. Words rise. Reactions rise. Attitudes rise rise. And that's when God helps you. He turns up the heat for your benefit because as these things rise to the surface and they come bubbling out of you, that's the opportunity to identify them and deal with them. We can, in the testing is when they rise to the surface and we see them sometimes for the first time. They've been hidden. We see them. We go, that's the reality of what's really gotten in my heart. And once we see them, then we can deal with them. We can remove them. We can pray about them. We can work on them. We can hand them over to the Lord so that we can grow and mature and get better. 
It's in the trials where we have the opportunity to grow because it's in the trials where we see revealed what's really going on under the surface of our lives, under the veneer that often is our life. If we don't go through times of testing, those things that need to be worked on in our lives would not be revealed. They would not bubble up to the surface. And if they aren't revealed, then they can't be improved and healed or removed, whatever God wants in our lives. That's why Peter says to be glad even though you're experiencing trials. Now, i got to tell you something. I'm, I don't think I'm to the place that Peter was at when he wrote this because I don't rejoice. But I can be in the middle of it and I can see, okay, God, you're doing something in this trial. This rose to the surface in me and I can't believe it's there. Recently, Suzanne and I were going through something and we were talking about our reaction to the situation. The situation was not in our family. It was dealing with another situation. And we were shocked at our level of anger and the reactions that we wanted to have in the situation. That's when you walk through a test and you reveal it. It's revealed. If you didn't go through the test, it wouldn't bubble to the surface. If it didn't bubble to the surface, you couldn't see what it is. And if you can't see what it is, you can't bring it before God so it can get healed and be transformed in his greatness. So the test of Paul, or Peter rather, um, uh, looks at it as it says, um, rejoice in the testing because he says, it will turn out for your better. You will get better like gold being refined by fire when you go through the testings. But here's the deal. You have a choice to make. When the fire's turned up, the heat comes up, the stuff bubbles out, you can either say, Lord, I bring it before you and I, I'm really kind of disappointed that that's there. Not in condemnation, but in reality of saying, I really don't, I would like to not be there anymore. And God, help me to show me what I have to do to work on this, to work through this, for, to invite you into it. Or you can say this, you know what? I have every right to feel that way. It's just fine. And then you do is you just kind of push it back down and you hide it for the next time. And here's the deal. If you do that, and it happens next year, and it happens next year, and it happens next year, and it happens next year. Ten years goes by, 20 years goes on, a lifetime goes by, and you're the exact same immature person you were when it started. That's not God's plan for your life. God's plan for your life is making you more like Jesus. So he puts us in pressure cooker situations. He allows it so that the, 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 the heat's turned up, the garbage boils to the surface. We go, oh, I don't like what I see. And then... He's not condemning us. He's just saying, but Mark, you know, that's there. That's truth. That's, who, that's really there. What do you want to do with it? And I say, God, I want you to help me in this thing. Jesus, I want you to, here, you take it. And, and God, I don't know how to deal with it. And he gives you wisdom and he helps you and, he, and you pray and he gives you victory and, and, he, and, he, and he says he can, he can help you through it and he, and he gives you grace and you become better. That way, and year after year after decade after decade after decade, somebody walks up to you and they go, wow, you're not the guy I knew from back then. You go, thank the Lord. I'm not the same guy. You can say, thank the Lord, I'm not the same guy. I got a long ways to go, but, but uh, I'm so glad I'm not the guy I was back at the testing time with just the hunting deal. And there's been a hundred other ones since then. So that's why Peter says, be glad and rejoice because God wants you to become the best you and the best you requires some effort and some work. So, there's one more thing. 
that I want us to see about times of testing from this story. And it's so important. And it's kind of the, in some way, some people pull out as the heart of the story. And it's this. In the midst of the test, God will provide for you if you walk faithfully through the testing. Abraham obeyed God's instruction and God provided a ram for a sacrifice. The book of Hebrews, talking about this story, tells us that Abraham believed that God would take care of the situation even if it meant raising Isaac from the dead. So somehow he went into that thing saying, even if I kill my son, God's going to raise him from the dead because he knew the promises of God. He knew God would provide. And friends, we need to know today that God will provide for us when we walk in obedience through times of testing. If you need strength to go through the test, God will provide it when you ask him for it. If you need freedom from something that a trial, something's bubbled to the top, and you need freedom from that thing, and you hold it before the Lord and you invite him in, he will help you to overcome that, to kill that thing, to become better than it, to remove it from your life. He will do it. If in a test you need an answer, he will provide it. You see, when God provided the ram for the sacrifice, Abraham named that place. He named it Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. They Actually, they called that place then that mountain, Jehovah-Jireh, Mount Moriah. The Lord will provide. And I'm going to challenge you with something today because you're going to go through tests. We said God does a test. If you walk with him and want to get better, he will give you tests. The tests will help you see who's number one in your life. The tests will help you become better. And in the midst of them, God will provide for you as you walk through the test. And I'm going to challenge you to do something. Name that place, that test. Somehow make it concrete. He named the place. The name of the mountain became the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. Take your journal out and write it down. Write down what happened. So the next time you face a test, this is what you do in your life. You turn and you look for the mountain. You'll see that mountain over there? That's where God provided for me. That's where God did this. That, that mountain over there is called Jehovah Jireh. You name it whatever you need to name it. They, they looked at it and they said, that's that mountain over there, that Mount Moriah, that's Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Believe me, friends. Every time that Abraham and Isaac from that day on faced a test, any test in their life, they stopped and they scanned the horizon. They said, where is it? There it is. It's a 3J walk away. Mount Moriah. They looked at it, and when they saw Mount Moriah, they knew the Lord will provide, and their faith soared. So don't forget it. Write it down. See, one of the greatest blessings of a test is when it's over, and the Lord does provide, and you look back at it, and you go, it seemed impossible then, but God, but God, this is what he did. And there's going to be all kinds of times in life where you go, it seems impossible. So when you can look back and say, no, 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 I know my God. You know one of his names? His name is Jehovah Jireh. He will provide. Now, as we close, I want to just point out one more really important thing about the text. I couldn't, I couldn't close without it. I had, I had those points that was important, but I couldn't close without this because it's so important. This story foreshadows future events. This is written thousands and thousands of years ago, thousands of years before Jesus even. And this story foreshadows certain future events. That mountainous area, 
they call Mount Moriah, where God showed Abraham, that is where eventually Jerusalem was established. And on, in that mountain area is where eventually the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, who is Jesus, would be sacrificed in the place of lost humanity. And in this story, the ram that was supplied, the ram in the bush caught by his horns, is foreshadowing a type of Jesus. Like the ram, Jesus was sacrificed in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. The ram was a substitute for Isaac as Jesus is a substitute for lost humanity. Scripture teaches us that every person ever born has been born under the curse of sin and sins affects us all and we know this, we all sin. And it teaches us that sin destroys humanity, that sin destroys the world, that sin destroys the relationship between man and God. Just like it did between Adam and Eve when they sinned. When Adam and Eve sinned, they ran from God because of sin. But friends, God doesn't want us running from him. He wants us running to him. So he dealt with sin. God himself came as one of us, as a person, as Jesus He came down to us. And why did he come? He came to reveal to humanity who God is, what he's like, but he also came to give himself in our place, to to deal with the sin problem, the curse of sin in the world. When Jesus went to the cross in our place and gave his life for us like the ram did for Isaac, then he rose from the dead on the third day. He broke the curse of sin and death and he set us free from having to live under the curse and to be condemned and, and, and chained by the curse. So now, when we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, you are that sacrifice for me, and we come to Christ and we, we ask him to forgive our sins and to, and to make us one with him, and we become his follower, and he's our God, he sets us free from the curse of sin and welcomes us into his family. That's what this, that's this story foretells, that one day it wouldn't be a ram, it would be the Lamb of God. And the Lamb of God is Jesus. And that Jesus came to give his life for you and me so that we don't have to die on the altar. But he takes our place and he washes away our sins when we come to him. And friends, that's the greatest greatest thing that can ever happen in the life of any person on the earth. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this story, real story, of what really happened with really ordinary people. That ordinary Abraham took his son, an ordinary son who was 13 at the time, could have probably fought his his 100-year-old father, 113-year-old father off, but he didn't that they walked in obedience to you and they got to see your glory and your wonder. And Lord, that ram that you provided on the cross, on, on, the, on the hill that day was just a, a, a foreshadowing of what was to come. That you were helping humanity see that I've got a plan in place. I've got a plan in place and it's been from all times. The plan is that one day the Lamb of God would take away the sins of the world. And it wouldn't be a real lamb, but that Jesus would come as a sacrifice. 
Now you set that whole system up in the Old Testament, Lord, with sacrificing of lambs and, and blood and all that stuff. You did all that to help people look forward to say, someday you're going to bring it all to a conclusion and it's going to be God himself is going to come and say, see, I am the fulfillment of it all. I am the Lamb of God. I'm going to take away the sins of the world. I'm going to give my life in your place so that so it could be done to us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Our sins could be forgiven. The curse could be broken. And we could choose to do what this, we've been looking all day, choose to walk with you and let you make us better. So we know this, Lord, that you offer, you're still offering the lamb to every person, every day, in every way. So churches, we're here and we're having a private moment as we close and just encourage you just to be, just to kind of draw to yourself and close your eyes and just allow the Lord to speak to you. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Mark, I want to I be all in with Jesus. I don't want to be like the rich young ruler who walked the other way. I want the sacrifice that Jesus gave of himself to apply to me. I want to be forgiven. Because that's what it was all about. It was the sacrifice was to forgive sins that man couldn't forgive. And you say, I know my life and I'm not walking with God. But something inside of me today is saying that's for me. If that's you today sitting in the silent quietness of this moment, the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you. I want to let you respond to that. I want to help you to respond. You could respond like this, just in your quietness of your heart, talking to the Lord, because He hears you. He's here. He's, He's Spirit. You can say, Dear Jesus, I need you in my life. I know that I'm a mess. I know that I'm a sinner and I know I'm guilty and I need forgiveness I need your forgiveness but more than that I need to be set free from sin I need to be able to say no to sin and so I'm asking you come and break that curse in my life the curse of sin and death I welcome you into my life And like Abraham, I want to follow you today. I want to do what you ask and go where you direct. So from this day, Lord, I'm going to give my life over to you. I'm going to surrender it to you. I'm going to ask you to receive me and bring me to your family and make me one of your own. And so on this day, I give my life over to you. And I want to walk with you now, Lord, all the days of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Look up at me, church. If you prayed that prayer today, I'm going to challenge you to to do something before your head hits the pillow tonight. Before you go to sleep tonight, I'm going to challenge you to tell somebody that you know is a follower of Jesus that today you said yes to Jesus. Because here's what's going to happen when you do that. You're kind of giving them permission to say, hey, how's it going? Because what the Bible tells us when we come to Jesus, we come as, as newborn babies. 
We kind of start, might, might be 100 years old or 80 years old, but we come now as a spiritual baby, and babies need help. And we walk together. And that's what the church is designed for, a place where we can walk together as we grow in our relationship with Jesus. We never figure it all out. We never become perfect. But what we do is that we help each other along the journey, and that's why we exist. If you did that today, you can let us know, and we want to help you in your journey also. Let's stand together. As the worship team leads in this closing song, I just invite you to to respond however the Lord's directing you. Some of you, the Lord, I believe, has put his finger on something that's competing with for lordship in your life. Like for me, it was hunting. For you, it's fill in the blank. The Lord's brought something up to your heart today. I had to make a commitment that I said, I said, God, it's done, it's over. I thought I would never do it again in my life. And I made that commitment. For some of you, there's something, you know, it's the love of money. It's the whatever, fill in the blank. You can surrender it to Jesus today. He can take it. He can help you grow and become. So as the worship team leads us in this song, I encourage you just to find a place to pray, allow the Holy Spirit to deal with you. Come pray up here if you want. If you'd like prayer for that or other reasons, myself and our prayer team will be up here to pray with you. Pastor Paul will be up here to pray with you. Let's just give the Holy Spirit a few moments to deal with us, to minister to our hearts as we as we end with this song and at the end I'll come back up.